the Reconstructionist Radio Podcast Network presents The Roots of Reconstruction by Rusas John Rushduni Narrated by Shelby Luke Thank you for joining me this week in the reading of Roots of Reconstruction by Rusus John Rushduni. In lieu of the judgment of God across this nation, I appeal to you to listen, learn, and live as the Holy Spirit guides you in the truth of the Word of God. The words and prompting of fallible men do not hold a candle to the truth of Scripture, and the truth of Scripture will only be words to our ears unless we exhort, establish, and exercise these infallible words in every area of thought and life. Calcedon Report number 104, April 1974. It was around 1660 that the structure of Western civilization began its shift from a Christian to a humanistic basis. In England, this meant the accession of Charles II. In France, Louis XIV was soon to begin changing the country. Germany, recuperating from the Thirty Years' War, was no longer determined by religion but by the balance of power. Spain was lacking in the religious fervor of Philip II of some years previously, and Russia was beginning its westernization in terms of humanism. Earlier, the goal of all Christians had been godly rule in every area of life. In the individual, by means of regeneration and sanctification, in the state by means of obedience to God's law, in education by the government, of all disciplines in terms of Christian premises, and in every area of life by the Scriptures. But as Lamont pointed out, quote, By 1660 these assumptions are no longer widely tenable. Virtue was now an end in itself, not a means to an end, unquote. In example, the world under God's law. And the province of religion was reduced to the inner life alone. William M. Lamont, Godly Rule, Politics and Religion, 1603-60, to 60, pages 163-166, London, Macmillan, 1969. The older dream persisted longer in America and was revived by some theologians after 1740, but in the mid-1800s, it too had faded. Increasingly, the church saw itself in terms of a new calling. Previously, it had declared the requirements of the Word of God for every area of life. It had required the state to be specifically Christian, the schools to educate in terms of the Word of God callings and vocations to be governed by biblical premises and every area of life to be under the dominion of God. The requirement to be Christian was not limited to the church. It was mandatory for the whole world and for every aspect and sphere thereof. After 1660, and especially with the rise of pietism, the role of the church and the Christian was limited to piety and worship. Previously, this limited concern had been the characteristic of mystics, and some, but by no means all, cloistered persons, monks, and nuns. 
Now the entire church began to remake itself into a cloister. Quote, every man a priest, unquote, had become, quote, every man a monk, unquote. As the church began its slow retreat from the world, the humanists began their conquest of it. The state was first of all captured, and especially after the French Revolution, became more and more openly humanistic in one country after another. Schools were also captured, turned into state institutions, and made the voices of the new established religion humanism. Law was steadily changed from a biblical to a humanistic basis, and one area after another captured for the new religion. This conquest was capped by the possession in the churches by the new religion. Priest and pastor began to proclaim not the word of God, but the word of man. Not regeneration by the sovereign and saving grace of God, but revolution by the supposedly sovereign power of man. Not the kingdom of God, but the kingdom of man, was the gospel of the new order in the churches. The new pilgrimage of man was not to Bethlehem or Golgotha, but to Dracula's castle. See report number 103. This was not the first time humanism had captured the church, nor the first time the church had been irrelevant to its purpose and hostile to it. Baraclo has written of the Renaissance popes that, quote, the popes of the first half of the 15th century, from Martin V to Nicholas V, gave way again both to fiscalism on a scale unthought of earlier. For example, the wholesale creation of new offices for the sole purpose of selling them. And to nepotism, so unashamed, for example, the placing of the Pope's illegitimate offspring in the College of Cardinals, that it might be thought that Christendom would have revolted in scandal. What is astounding is that it did not, and the fact that it did not is the best evidence that people had, so to say, already written off the papacy. It no longer had any hold over men's minds, not even enough to provoke angry hostility. Unquote. Geoffrey Baraclo, The Medieval Papacy, page 192, Harcourt, Brace, and World, 1968. Once again, the church does not matter much because it has ceased to be relevant. Its gospel is the state. It has confused godly rule with status rule, and its answer to most problems is the capture and control of the state. What marvelous wisdom churchmen have shown in recent years. Now that the ship of state is sinking, they clamber aboard. The gospel of statism is creating a world crisis for civilization, and the churches have found it to be the hope of man, not his problem. Apparently, in the belief that a drowning man needs more water, churchmen are giving a world sickened by means of humanism, even more humanism. But the irrelevance of churchmen does not mean the irrelevance of God, who is the only ground of all relevance. All things have their being, and their meaning in His creative act, and no reconstruction, progress, or hope is tenable or possible apart from him. The crisis of our time is a hopeful and heartening fact. It means emphatically that the world is under God's law, and what a man sows, that shall he also reap. True, 
It means times of crisis and judgment. But how else is history cleared of the debris of man's sin and folly? What takes place on television is pale and lifeless when compared to the excitement and development of the world around us. History is the work of God, and it has a good beginning and ending. Calcedon Report number 105, May 1974. On the last page of the Cantos of Ezra Pound, we have a sharp and clear statement. I lost my center fighting the world. The dreams clash and are shattered. I tried to make a paradiso terrestre. The last line of all expresses the forlorn hope, quote, to be men, not destroyers, unquote. The Cantos were written in the bloodiest years of world history, when men were destroyers. Between 1911 and 1945, at least 70 million died in two wars, massacres, famines, and executions. After 1945, in Red China and Africa as well as elsewhere, the slaughter continued. Men had become destroyers in their attempts to create an earthly paradise. Earlier, in Canto 74, Pound's massive frustration is expressed in these lines. I don't know how humanity stands it with a painted paradise at the end of it, without a painted paradise at the end of it. Page 136. Mankind has a dream, derived from Scripture, of a world of peace in which wars cease. Men beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks, and all men live in peace one with another. Isaiah 2, 1-4, etc. Wherever this dream goes, men begin to change and to work frantically for the new world order. But apart from faith, the dream is a frustration and a troubler of man. Life is impossible with this dream and impossible without it as Pound saw. Some, of course, have tried to escape from the dream by a return to primitivism as they imagine it. Walt Whitman, in his well-known lines, expressed this hope of escape. I think I could turn and live with animals. They are so placid and self-contained. I stand and look at them long and long. They do not sweat and whine about their condition. They do not lie awake in the dark and weep for their sins. They do not make me sick discussing their duty to God. Not one is dissatisfied, not one is demented with the mania of owning things. Not one kneels to another, nor to his kind that lived thousands of years ago. Not one is respectable or industrious over the whole earth. Whitman, however, was less than honest. He had not surrendered by any means the dream of an earthly paradise, not only in, quote, passage to India, unquote, but in poem after poem he celebrated this soon-to-be-realized future. Whitman's hope of realizing an earthly paradise depended on man, more specifically, on awakened man. Man must realize, he believed, that he is an unfallen creature and man must rouse himself out of the sickness of Christianity into the health of free 
natural, uninhibited man, then man will enter into perfection. In quote, a song, unquote, Whitman wrote, Come, I will make the continent indissoluble. I will make the most splendid race the sun ever yet shone upon. I will make divine magnetic lands with the love of comrades, with the lifelong love of comrades. Abolish Christianity and the idea of sin and the natural goodness of men will flower and will create heaven on earth. In France, George Sand in 1869 wrote, quote, If one does ill, it is because one is not aware of doing it. Better enlightened, one would never do it again. I don't believe it is due to wickedness, but to ignorance, unquote. Modern man bought this argument. How easy it was going to be to create an earthly paradise. Simply abandon orthodox Christianity and educate people out of their erroneous ways. Sin is ignorance. It was held. A lack of proper knowledge and instruction, rather than an evil character and a willful commission of acts of lawlessness. The great instrument in this mighty transformation would be the state by means of its control of education. The state of schools as Horace Mann, James G. Carter, and others, following the example of Prussia, envisioned, would gradually reduce and eliminate the role of Christianity and stress education as the means of salvation. The problem being ignorance rather than sin. The cure to social problems would be education. When the products of status schools have revealed themselves to be barbarians, the answer of the status educators has been faithful to their presuppositions. They have demanded more money for more education. While the content of education has been steadily lowered, the extent of education in terms of years in school has been extended. Now many educators believe that every child should have a college education. If the answer to, quote, doing ill, unquote, is education, this is a sensible answer and status educators are faithful to their humanistic faith. Events, however, have demonstrated that they are disastrously wrong, and the results of their work are the rise of a new barbarism and widespread social disorders. Walt Whitman's new Adam, who denies the fall and the possibility of sin, is very much with us, and his good news is animalism. A pornographic, quote, underground, unquote, paper, which espouses freedom for any and all kinds of voluntary and consenting acts of sex, was attacked recently for being too, quote, Puritan, unquote. Why? The young man declared after espousing, quote, free, natural, animal sex, unquote, without any formalities of courtesy or attraction. Quote, you are still embedded with old wives' tales, Mrs. Robinson, you can't have sex without bringing into play fantasy, affection, mother protection, and quasi-prostitution, men spending money on dates, and personality and in-crowd cults, unquote. Eliminate all attention to personality and rut in animal fashion, he demanded. In brief, let there be no principles and the sexual utopia will arrive. Abolish God and His law from the universe, and men will be at peace. 
Instead of sin, our problem is ignorance. It is held ignorance of the fact that there is no sin, no law, no absolutes to limit or govern man. The modern state denies that there is any higher law. A former chief justice of the U.S. Supreme Court asserted, quote, Nothing is more certain in modern society than the principle that there are no absolutes, unquote. These words of Frederick Moore Vinson sum up the credo of the modern state. Beyond the state, there is neither a God nor a law. A problem remains, however, and it is a problem in every modern state, the USSR, the USA, and others. The state has denied all absolutes. It has denied God, and it has sought to make itself the new God and its purposes the new absolutes. Status-trained youth have learned their lesson well, however, and the result is that they are as rebellious against the state as against God, and even more so. By destroying the principle of authority, the state and its schools have destroyed their own authority. By exalting rebellion and revolution into the only virtues, the state and its schools have created a world program for perpetual revolution. The earthly paradise has, in fact, come to mean total civil war by mankind. The world thus drifts towards a third world war while caught up within by an even deeper war, the isolation of man from man and the warfare of man against man because no common faith binds them to a higher law and to each other in terms of the God of that law. The earthly paradise is fast becoming an earthly hell. St. James declared, quote, There is one lawgiver who is able to save and to destroy. Who art thou that judgest another? Unquote. James 4.12 All men's attempts to create a law apart from God or to make judgments apart from Him are doomed. The only possible order is from God and His law. He alone can destroy evil by His sovereign grace. He is the only lawgiver. Apart from Him, men lose their sinner. They have no valid principle of judgment, and their efforts collapse finally into anarchy. They may dream, with Ezra Pound, of being, quote, men, not destroyers, unquote. But they only become destroyers and ravagers of mankind. It is only God's grace and God's law which can reconstruct and restore a world ravaged by sin, by man's attempt to be his own God, determining for himself what constitutes good and evil. Genesis 3.5 Eric von Knelt Ledin, echoing Pradhan, has pointed out that, quote, At the bottom of politics, one always finds theology, unquote. Eric von Kunelt Ledin, Leptism, page 54, New Rochelle, New York, Arlington House, 1974. The theology at the bottom of our contemporary politics is the theology of humanism, the worship of man. We cannot have new politics without a new theology, and the only theology which can provide the needed justice and order is biblical theology. Our present politics is a product of a bankrupt humanism. Bad as that politics is, men will continue to flounder in the morass of its decay and corruption until they surrender their faith in man for faith 
in the living and triune God. The renewal of politics is urgently and desperately needed, but it must be preceded by the renewal of Christian faith. This will not come from waiting on the churches, but only from the Lord. Thank you for joining me this week in the reading of Roots of Reconstruction by Bruce's John Rushman. Lord willing, we will be reading again next week. Until then, may God bless your endeavors as you serve the one and only King Jesus. It was the blood of Jesus, the perfect sacrifice, the love he assures by his paying the very price. It was there at Calvary's tree, where he died for you and me. Reconstructionist Radio Podcast Network brings to you a complete lineup of podcasts where you will hear practical and tactical theology. 
Our desire is not simply that you consume our shows, but that you also live out your faith in every area of life. We can talk all day long about these things, but if we fail to put them into practice, then we fail as ambassadors of Jesus Christ, our King. Subscribe now to your favorite Reconstructionist Radio Podcast Network shows, or you can subscribe to the Reconstructionist Radio Master Feed, where all of the content we produce including the audiobooks and audio articles, will pop up as soon as they are available. And don't forget to visit ReconstructionistRadio.com to volunteer as a narrator or to partner with this ministry financially. May the Holy Spirit stir you into action for Christ and His kingdom.